Tonight's Bible reading is from Acts chapter 20, verses 17 to the end of the chapter. From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. When they arrived, he said to them, You know how I lived the whole time I was with you. From the first day I came into the province of Asia. I served the Lord with great humility and with tears and in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me, My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of the Lord's grace. Now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of any of you, for I have not hesitated to to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he, brought, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and disciples and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I have never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. When Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again. Then they accompanied him to the ship. Good evening, everybody. Lovely to see you here on this Mother's Day. Uh, to the Mother's Day, to the mothers on this day. Uh, thank you for all the love and the commitment that you've shown to us. It is a wonderful thing that you are part of our lives, and we're so so thankful. But for this moment, we are now going to approach. God through his word, and so before we do, let's pray. Our good and gracious God, uh, we thank you so much uh, that your kingdom is now, and it's also not yet, and in this moment we see it going to the ends of the earth. Thank you that you empower us by your Holy Spirit, and thank you that you've done it uh, for thousands of years now. And as we look at the example of Paul and the Ephesian church, Please do inspire us as we seek to live as disciples of Jesus in this age. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, tonight's sermon is titled, The Eulogy of a Disciple. And so I've asked a question, have you ever thought about writing your own eulogy? That's a bit of a strange thing to ask. Like, well, why would you write your own eulogy? Or like, when you think of eulogies, that's kind of something you do like for funerals, death, that kind of thing. Uh, But it did get me thinking about it, and I Google searched it this week. 
you know, what do you do when you write your own eulogy? What should you talk about? And I got actually quite a lot of good suggestions about it's a very good reflective kind of exercise. And if you want to like reflect on your life now, what you want to do in the future, uh, a kind of good thing to do. But it kind of makes us ask, what would we say? If we were to write a eulogy now about ourselves or, uh, or for the future, what would we write about? What would we want our legacy to be? Or if we had one final word to give a group of people, what would we say? And in this passage tonight, we get exactly that. We get the eulogy of a disciple. We get the eulogy of the Apostle Paul to the Ephesian church. Now, Paul is not dead. He's not dying. Uh, he just thinks he's never going to see these people again. Uh, so he gives them like this farewell speech. He's lived with these Ephesians for a long time, up to three years. Uh, he's loved them. He's encouraged them. And so he gives these final words, these final words of encouragement and, and committal to them. Kind of like if, you know, you have someone at a farewell and they, and they give their final speech or back in the old days when people left to live overseas, uh, they give a, a farewell speech. This is what's going on here. Now, when I googled what to write for a eulogy, uh, I did get a lot of self-help advice and kind of uh, empowering advice. But the basic thrust, um, and I'll read you the three things, was to talk about uh, the priorities you had in life, the roles that you played, and how you want to define your legacy. That's what they said you should do for writing your own eulogy. So I was looking at Paul's little eulogy here. I thought, oh, that looks pretty similar to what Paul's doing. Uh, he's writing about his, his life. He's writing about what he wants to be known for. However, for Paul, he has a different motive. For Paul, his motive is not primarily personal. His motive is not to really to leave a legacy for himself at all. If Paul was to say, I have a legacy, his legacy is I'm imitating Christ. You look at me, then I'm imitating Christ. All the things I say, the things that I do, it's about Christ. And ultimately, this eulogy that he that he's said to the Ephesians is ultimately for them. It's ultimately to use Paul's personal example to build them up, to encourage them, and to equip the Ephesian church as they continue on their role in the kingdom of God. So in that sense, this eulogy gives us some really insight, really good insights, into the type of person that we can emulate. A person to see as a model for Christian faith uh, and a life in ministry. Before unpacking it, though, uh, we had verse 17 uh, and, and on read to us. But if you flick back through chapter 20, uh, so we finished last week in Ephesus, and that's where chapter 20 begins. Uh, when the uproar ended, Paul sent, uh, sent for the disciples. Uh, he said goodbye, and, and he left going throughout Macedonia and Greece. And what we see uh, throughout this section in chapter 20, and also if you flick over this section to 21, is Paul is on like kind of a farewell tour. All right, on the screen behind me is Paul's third missionary journey. So he's been on three of these things. And you can kind of see it there, like Ephesus kind of in the middle. He goes up and around Philippi, Thessalonica, goes back to Corinth. Now you know them from our letters. Then he, he's going to go back, and he goes back past Ephesus. But on this mission that he goes on, it's like a mission where you just see he's compelled to 
constantly be on mission. Wherever he's going, he's just, I'm preaching the gospel. And particularly, if you just read verses 1 to 2, he mentions the word, or Luke, who's talking about Paul, mentions the word encouragement twice. On this whirlwind tour of mission, he's also about encouraging the church. He's compelled to encourage them. And he's also compelled to continue to preach. I don't know if it's... See that little place, Troas? And you wouldn't have heard of that place there. Um, has anyone heard of the character Eutychus? A couple people. Okay. Eutychus is a bit of a funny character in the Bible. He's a, he's a boy who's probably in, in sixth grade. In this place, Troas, Paul, being the man who's compelled to preach, he preaches on and on and on and on. And poor little Eutychus, he's, he's wedged in the side of a window. And hearing preach, Paul go on and on, the lights are flickering, it's getting dark. Paul preaches until dawn. Eutychus falls into a bit of a sleep, drops out the window and dies. Uh, Paul, he stops preaching for that moment. Uh, he goes down, raises Eutychus back to life goes back, and then Paul just keeps preaching, going on until the, until the dawn. Amongst seeing God's amazing power through the apostle, we also see he's just compelled to preach. On this farewell tour of encouragement, uh, he is also just completely compelled to preach. And that is the kind of mindset that he's in as he, he goes about this journey. But he now has to back pass through Ephesus. But he can't stop there. Being the guy that's compelled on his mission, he's going to Jerusalem and he want to go, wants to go to Rome. So he can't spend too much time there. But he is determined to pastor them. So he calls for the leaders. He calls for the leaders of the church so they can go and share and continue to minister to the Ephesian church there. Now just imagine Paul in that moment. He's on a sea journey. He's walking throughout the land. And he's waiting for these leaders to come. What would you say? What would you say to those Ephesians as they, as they come over the hill and come into his presence? What do you think Paul would say? Does he want to tell them the gospel again? Remember how amazing the Lord Jesus is, the grace and love of our God in Christ. Does he want to like share with them and like celebrate all the things that God has done in and through them uh, in Ephesus? You want to give him like a five-point strategy. Okay, this is how you continue to, to expand the kingdom of God in Ephesus. But then Paul sees them come over the hill. And he remembers where they're from. He remembers he's from that city of riots. He's from the city of magic. A city where people are maligning the way. They're criticizing the Christians all the time. It's a city where it's hard to follow Jesus. It's a city where it's tough. It's not fashionable. It's not easy to be a Christian there. Paul knows these people love Jesus. They've repented. They believed in him. So in his final testament, you know what he does? He says, these are the things which are most important to you. And he basically gives them an example of how he lived. Not to give glory to himself, but to say, this is the example that I've set for you to emulate, and it's now up to you. And so he begins, verse 18. You know how I lived the whole time I was with you. From the first day I came into the province of Asia, I served the Lord with great humility 
and with tears in the midst of severe suffering by the plots of my Jewish opponents. He starts with, you know how I lived. Like, what courageous words to say first up. Like, these aren't people that are like, oh, what's Paul like? No, they lived with him for three years. And Paul says, remember how I lived with you for those three years. That's my example to you. That's what I want you to hold on to as I encourage you. Remember what I've said, remember, but particularly how I lived. And the first thing that we see about the eulogy of a disciple is Christ-like character. It's like Paul is saying, look at my character uh, because I'm amazing. He's emulating the character of Christ. And he's saying, as you imitate me, you imitate Christ. Now, Paul, he could have pointed to heaps of things about uh, what he did and, and, and how he acted. But he points to one thing in particular, that he had servant-hearted humility. Now, that character trait of godly, uh, of, of servant-hearted humility... In many ways, it just perfectly sums up what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. One of the purest and beautiful expressions of love. Because first and foremost, Paul wants to say, yeah, I worked hard. But it's not about me, it's about Jesus. And because because I serve Jesus, I serve you. Because what does humility mean? Humility means it's loving others above yourself. Humility, it's like being excited for someone when they, when they go well, not just boasting in yourself. It means like kind of owning your inabilities, not just trying to celebrate all your abilities and victories. Because humility is ultimately about not focusing on yourself, but focusing on the other person for the good of others. And why, why would Paul want to focus on that? Well, as I'm saying, it's, it's emulating Christ-like character. Because what did Jesus do? He is the ultimate example of humility. God himself stepping down from heaven as a human then dying on that cross. There is no greater demonstration of uh, humility. But also we know when we see humble people, like when you're in a workplace like that, you're in a family like that, you're in a, a uni group project, which always are horrible. But when you're in one of those and people are humble, that's when things go well. That's when the humanity flourishes. And we're seeking the good of the other. Now, Paul actually gives a bit of an example of that actually look like for him at the back end of his speech. So if you've got your Bibles there, flick over uh, to verse 33. Uh, He says this, I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You, You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I show that this kind of work, by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, remembering the laws of the word Jesus himself, when he said, is more blessed to give than to receive. As part of this Christ-like character, we see integrity. It's not about personal gain. Because when Paul is making these comments about working hard, he's, he is celebrated working hard. Like the, the grace of God is fueling him. And not taking these uh, financial gain, working hard for himself. He's contrasting himself against the other philosophers, the other speakers of that time. Because remember that lecture hall of Tyrannius that Paul was preaching in, in Ephesus? Probably at the same time Paul was preaching, other people are preaching there and they're getting an income from that. But Paul is saying, no, 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 I don't want to hinder the gospel. I don't want to make it charged. 
I want it to go out. I'm going to work hard so I can be there and I can continue to support myself, can continue to uh, support my co-workers. And then I work hard so that I can support the weak. That is what gospel ministry is about. Continuing to uplift, to uphold the weak. So the first aspect we see about the eulogy of a disciple is character. A Christ-like character that humbly serves the Lord and therefore serves others. The second part in Paul's eulogy as an example to emulate is his communication. So if you flick back a bit uh, to where we left off, verse 20, he says, You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but I've taught you publicly from house to house. I've declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in the Lord Jesus. I've not hesitated to preach is what he says. Like, there's no surprises there. We know Paul all the time. He's preaching the gospel. There's no big surprises. But that's what he's about. He's about communicating the gospel. The purpose of sharing the gospel is so that every person, Jew, Gentile, H people, K people, Anglo-Australian people, second generation Korean, Chinese people, every person, rich, poor, no matter where you find yourself on the, on the social spectrum of things, every person, equal before God, every person, to hear the gospel. And as you, if we were to flick through and do a bit of a word study on all the words Paul says, he kind of uses all sorts of words, anything he can think of, to say, I've preached to you. I've declared the gospel to you. I've taught you. I've warned you. He's saying in all the creative ways that he can think of sharing the gospel, he does it publicly, he does it privately, he does it from person A to person B. He's trying to think of all the creative different ways I can share the gospel with this person. Kind of like that story that Dave was saying uh, before about that person who learns the culture and then is able to share the gospel. That's what we learn from Paul. He wants the message to be heard. But he also doesn't want to just tickle the ears. He doesn't just want to say everything that people want to hear. As we see in verse 27, he says, I've not hesitated to proclaim the whole will of God to you. He's going to preach it all. Whether people like it, whether it makes them happy, makes them not. Whether it is confronting, whether it is comforting. Paul's like, I declare and communicate the whole will of God to you, the whole of the gospel. For it is the only true source of hope for this world. And for us, for the Ephesians, that is the model to follow, to continue in all means possible to communicate the message of Christ. Paul went public, he went private, he went creative, he went simple. In all ways we look to share the love of God displayed in Christ in our words and in our actions. We communicate the gospel. So in the eulogy of a disciple, he's about Christ-like character and he's about communicating the gospel. That brings us to the third part of his eulogy, the third part that he wants us, wants the Ephesians and then us to emulate. And that's his commitment. Now, we've certainly seen his commitment as he just goes around sharing the gospel throughout Acts. We've seen it lived out. But now he gives us a bit of a declaration of what that looks like. Uh, and there's probably no clearer declaration than his commitment 
uh, then in verses 22 to 24. He says, Now compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. He is sold out, isn't he? Absolutely sold out, fully committed to his task. Even when the Holy Spirit is warning him of suffering, it's going to come. Definitely is going to come. We're going to see it in, as we continue in this series. We're going to see the suffering that happens to Paul. But he's committed. It's not about him. It's about Christ and continuing on that role. Like he uses the illustration, the example of an athlete. Now, I do enjoy following a lot of the, the Premier League overseas. Uh, and when you listen to the men and the women who give uh, like a post-match talk, a speech, whatever, you just hear the commitment they have to the cause. Right? They always are like, basically, oh yeah, it was a great game, but it's just one game. You know, we keep trying, we keep learning, we keep going and, until we win the league. They're committed to that task. And that's what Paul is on about. He's completely motivated, 100% committed to sharing the gospel of Christ. Committed to that task that he's been given as a disciple. Now, Paul knows he's saved by grace. He knows that that stuff doesn't save him. We get some of the clearest teaching of that from his letters. But grace doesn't make him stand still. Grace thrusts him forward. He is fueled by grace as he shares about the grace of God uh, and the good news of Christ to all people. And so that's the eulogy of Paul, the disciple. Character, Christ-like character. A communication which is centred on Christ and a commitment for the cause of Christ. Now, when we look at all those examples and we think about those three things, it can probably feel a bit overwhelming. It can feel a bit like, like a, an Olympic skier and they're, like, they're riding down, they're doing crazy backflips and all sorts of things down uh, the, the ski field, and they kind of skid up next to you, you get a lovely spray of snow across your face, and then they go, now you try. <laughs> Stuff that! No chance. That can be how it feels when, you, when we read this example of Paul. But can I point you to what he doesn't say? He doesn't point to the crazy visionary experiences that he has. He doesn't point to really one of the most incredible conversion experiences one can, ex- one can have. He doesn't point to the amazing healing kind of works that that God does through him. Paul points to the observable things of himself, the things that all Christians can follow and emulate. If you were to write a eulogy about yourself in this moment, what is it that you could say about your character, your commitment, your communication, Like, how is our character pointing to Christ? Or how is it continuing to grow into the likeness of Christ? How is it that our communication could be summarized? Now, of course, most of us, we go to work or we go to education or something. So, of course, our communication is going to be the language of the industry. I get that. 
But if you were to like give a moment of this is actually what I want to communicate in my life or people to sum up well, what this person is really on about by what they say, what would our communication point to? And then what is it that we're committed to? Like when our eulogy is written or we would write our own eulogy, like is our life just we become a Christian and then we lived it lukewarm, half-hearted? Or we committed to Christ, committed to him and the good and the bad, the ugly, whatever it may be, in our family, in our work, in, in our hobbies, in our just daily life, in, in the spheres of influence that we find ourselves in. What is it that our life is saying that we're committed to? So when you think about writing your own eulogy, maybe it does point you towards what are the next steps? How is it you continue to open yourself up to the transforming work of the Holy Spirit in your life? Because he is the one that transforms us, of course. And of course, we are saved by grace. None of this stuff that we're talking about today is is in order to have us be saved. Of course not. There's not even a hint of that in what Paul's saying. And please don't hear that in what I'm saying. We are saved by grace in every sense of that phrase. But grace fuels us. Like it was fueling Paul, it fuels us. We don't work for our faith, but our faith certainly makes us work. Then when Paul finishes his speech, you just get this emotion. This is like just genuine outpouring of emotion as it comes out. If I could read for you verse uh, 36 to 38, and if there was a bunch of people up here wailing and being crying, it would make it all the more powerful. You can imagine that. But when Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with them and prayed, and they all wept, desperately weeping. They embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them most was his statement that they will never see his face again. Then they accompanied him to the ship. Like Paul, he really does love the Ephesians. And the Ephesians really love Paul. They weep and they're wailing. I, I don't know, who would you weep and wail for if they were to leave? Now, for the Ephesians, Paul's your man. Um, they are sad. But their emotion arises because they are committed to the mission. They are devastatingly sad. There is no way Luke could write this in a more... like poetic, a more like robust way of saying these people are utterly devastated, but they are committed to the mission. You see that because they accompany him to the ship. Like if there's someone you don't like, you don't go with them and say goodbye. If someone's from your house and they're, they're leaving, you don't, you don't walk up with them, see them out the door, wave them in the car. You just stuff them, see you walk the other way. The Ephesians, they love Paul, but they're committed for him to go on that mission. Now, obviously, we've seen Paul's commitment. He wants to continue to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. For for him to live is Christ, to die is gain. To the Ephesians. Now, it's not expressly stated in this passage here, but they are committed to that mission. And they also have their own task. If Luke was writing from the Ephesian perspective, you could imagine him saying something like this. Now, this is Matt NIV. This is not in there. Imaginative, right? You could imagine him saying they returned on foot to their homes to continue to grow and build the church. 
Because that's what they did. They walked back over that hill. They walked the 48 kilometers back to Ephesus and continued to work to see the church grow. Continued to work, empowered by the Holy Spirit, to see the kingdom of God uh, grow in that area of the world. To emulate Paul by taking the gospel to that city. Corporately and individually. To emulate his character, his communication, and his commitment. So what is our task? Is it to stay like the Ephesians? Is it to go like Paul? Is it it something else? Now we're in the month of May. And as we do every year, uh, we support May Mission which means that we are in the task of sending. To send and to keep our brothers and sisters uh, who are overseas in Outback Australia on the field. To support them financially and support them with prayer and to support them in this space and say, we're with you. With our finances, with our prayers, with our support, we are with you. And this is part of doing our task in taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. So consider where it is that you can financially sacrifice for them. Now we know that we're asking you to give above your your regular giving. So of course this is a sacrifice. But consider what you can give, what kind of cost you can bear in support of sending. And also consider how you can partner with them in prayer. Now whenever we have a missionary family up here, the we always ask, you know, how can we support you? The first thing they say, can you pray for us? Now, they don't just say that because that's, they don't want to talk about that financial bit yet. No, prayer is the most important thing. Please partner with us in prayer. Don't just partner, please partner in this moment, like at 6 p.m. on a Sunday, but partner with me at, at 6 p.m. On, on a Monday, at 12.30 on a Tuesday, regularly. That's what they're asking for. They know the power of God uh, happens through prayer. So consider how you can consistently partner with them. But in addition to our task in sending, we also have a task here. We have a general call, similar to like that of the Ephesians, to stay and to live as disciples in this city, in this neighborhood, in your workplace, in your family, wherever it is that your sphere of influence is. As, God, as Jesus says in the Gospels, we're called to love God and we're called to love others. We're called to make disciples of all nations. We're called to use the gift the Holy Spirit has given us to build up the church. Every Christian is in this category. Every single one. In whatever capacity the Holy Spirit has given us, that is our task. Now, we are called to be disciples who make disciples. And sometimes we are called to a specific task. Sometimes God calls us to particular individuals, to particular groups of people, to a particular workplace. He might call us to a particular ministry in this church or in another one. He might call us to move our homes to somewhere else. Or he might call us overseas. Like Emily going to Burkina Faso. And then who knows where God will send her next. Or Tim and Val 
to Nepal. Or Malad and Joyce to Lebanon or now Auburn and then maybe back to Lebanon. Now we are in the month of May. So can I gently, but hopefully clearly, draw to the front of your minds? Is the Holy Spirit calling you to mission? Is he calling you to some kind of vocational ministry? It could be some kind of direct call, something crazy, something miraculous, that happens. It could be like what Emily shared with us uh, when she was going years ago, like a homesickness towards another land. It, it could be that you want to use your gifts and abilities and just the desires that you have to serve somewhere overseas. You only have to look at international use for one minute to know that there's uh, need there, to know the gospel, the kingdom of God needs to implant itself in that part of the world. Going overseas is not for all of us, but it is for some of us. So please, can I encourage you to be prayerful, to be intentional in seeking God? And is there something specific that he is calling to you? calling you to of course all the general things yes please continue encourage one another as we do but is there something specific which he is calling you to now i read verses 36 to to 38 and i don't really want to live that no one really wants to be sad but there is a strange part of us which i think what a glorious thing to be when we are sad and desperately have to be torn away because we are sending a sister or a brother overseas And of course it will be heart-wrenching. But that's what we want our church to be about. That's what we want all the churches of Christ to be about. People who send, people who encourage, people who stay. And of course that will cause grief. But what a mission that we're invited to be on. A mission to take and witness to Jesus to the ends of the earth. To partner with him. The mission of God. St. Paul's farewell tour. This is the eulogy which he gives for us to emulate. To have a Christ-like character. Christ, be Christ-centered in our communication. And be committed to the cause of Christ. And then along with the Ephesians, we are a church who is committed to the mission of God. Both individually and corporately. Let me pray. Father God, Thank you, you are a God of love and you're a God who has a heart for the nations. For every nation, people, group, culture, ethnicity, you have a great and deep love for them. And Father, you call us to be part of your mission to go to the ends of the earth, to witness to your grace, to witness uh, to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Please help us to be people that have a Christ-like character, that are Christ-centered in our communication, that are committed to your cause in the gospel. And Holy Spirit, we need your help, your support, your empowering as we do it. So please do give us boldness, give us courage in order to do your work. We ask this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.